Well, it's great to be sharing with you this morning. I want to share some thoughts about what God has been sharing with me this week. And um, uh, the title of this message is called Storms. Storms. When I was a kid, I loved storms. I remember that uh, there was one time, I don't remember how old I was, but there was this massive thunderstorm. And I remember uh, just we, at the, the house we were living at had a big deck and just running out in the rain, just running around, getting totally drenched. And I don't know what it was about the storm, but it was just, it was awesome. I remember another time where we were going on a family holiday. We were driving up to the north coast of New South Wales and um, we found ourselves in this back road through the Hunter Valley. And as we were driving along, this, this massive electrical storm just suddenly appeared. It, it, we were sort of in this road at the bottom of a valley. And as we're driving along, there's just these lightning strikes just on either side of the valley. And we didn't know, like, do, do, you, do you stop or do you like, keep going, hoping that a moving target is less likely to be hit? Or, and, and it was terrifying. And the thing with storms is that we all face them. We all face them, whether it's a financial crisis, whether it's relational difficulties, whether it's a sense of crisis in our faith, having questions that we have unanswered, whether it's having options for our future and we don't know which to pick, whether it's having a sense of, of uh, a trial or a challenge that just can't seem to move through, or just having a sense that everything is upside down. We all face storms. It's a, a guarantee. And the reality is that the reward for overcoming our last challenge is our next challenge. So we all face storms. And it's interesting, as I was thinking about it this week, the way we talk about storms as a metaphor gives away a lot. In the English language, we use these metaphors to try and describe things. So if, someone, if we say someone is going through a, a storm in their life, it's a bad thing. If someone is, is uh, under the weather, that is a, like a bad metaphor, like it's, it's something bad is happening to them. Or if someone's uh, career is up against the rocks, it's this storm imagery of, of, of it's like a boat in a storm and it's about to crash and just uh, yeah. turn to pieces on the rocks. The way we use storm as a metaphor is bad. And yet... Over this week, I've been looking through the Bible and how the Bible describes storms, and I've noticed it's a very different way of looking at storms. And so I've got four points, and as I look through the Bible this week, as I've sort of uh, wrestled with how does the Bible talk about storms, I've come up with four things that I want to share that I've found helpful and I hope will help you too. Number one, the first point that I have is that the storm is the birthplace of new creations. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see God creates, and He creates, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And He creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing, and then God spoke, and worlds came into being. And yet, when we look at the next line, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. This Hebrew phrase is tohu vavohu. Tohu is the word for, for uh, chaos, for tumult. It's, it's things are disordered, fundamentally disordered. Tohu vavohu, the, the second part of the phrase, literally means uninhabited. It's, it's, it's empty. It's wasteland. This picture is that God creates, and yet what he makes is the raw material of wild and waste. In a sense, the very first thing he creates is a storm. 
is chaotic waters. And out of that raw material, God forms and he shapes. He's not afraid of the storm because the next line says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the storm, God dwelt. In fact, as I was looking, there's an interesting part where there is a sense in which a part of God is a storm. In the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. I love that. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm. When we go a bit further in Genesis after the, the story of creation, we get to Noah and the ark. And uh, Noah has been called by God to build this boat and God uses him as, as this rescue mission. But he goes through 40 days and 40 nights of storm. We talk about a wet week at Christmas. This is 40 days and 40 nights of storm. When I was living in New Zealand, uh, pretty much every day I was there it rained at some point in the day. And after the first week, it was great because I'd just come from Broken Hill where it rains like three times a year. And I come to New Zealand and everything's green. Like people don't have lawn. That the family I was with, they had like moss as their lawn. I was like, what is this? But it was great for the first week. And then after a month, you get sick of it because it's like, it's like you can't go for a walk because you don't know if it's going to get wet and then just everything gets hard. You have to take an umbrella everywhere. And after six months, I'm like, Australia, here we come. But Noah had 40 days and 40 nights of this rain, of intense rain, of zero visibility. He cannot see what's ahead. He does not know what God is doing. But here's the thing. In the storm, while Noah couldn't see, God was creating something new through the storm. The storm is the birthplace of new creations. In fact, in Psalm chapter 77, verse 14, 19, sorry, it says, Your path, Lord, led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. God uses the storm. He is not afraid of the storm. He is not bothered by the storm. The storm is the raw material through which he can do a new creation work. In fact, in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 4, if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah was um, running away from God. But regardless of the backstory, Jonah, chapter 1, verse 4, the Lord sent a violent wind such that a storm arose. The Lord sent a violent wind. Now, I don't know what Jonah was thinking in that moment, but if he was anything like many of us Christians, he would go, God, are you in control? Look at what I'm facing. Look at how I'm experiencing this. Look at the mess that I'm in. Can't you, why haven't you done something about it? Not realizing that the storm was sent by God because in the storm, God was redirecting and recreating Jonah. And in the storm, God was turning Jonah into his will. The storm wasn't outside the will of God. It was in the very center of the will of God because as a result of the storm, Jonah is redirected into God's purposes. The storm is the birthplace of new creation. But how do we respond in the storm? My second point is that the storm is the time for faith, not fear. The storm is the time for faith, not fear. There's two stories in the New Testament where Jesus walks, uh, Jesus is in a storm with his disciples. The first one is, is insane in the book of Mark. And 
Jesus feeds these 5,000 people and then he tells his disciples, you go on ahead. I, I'm, I've got some time with God. I've just got to sort out some stuff. You go on ahead. And he sends his disciples out in the boat and this storm picks up and he's in the middle of the night and he sees. Now, how he sees, I don't know. But he sees that his disciples are in a storm and so he walked out to them. His disciples are already terrified. What in the world is he doing? And we, we read uh, in one version of this passage, it says, the disciples are rowing hard and then they see Jesus and they think he's a ghost. And so they start screaming. They start screaming. And Jesus responds maybe with the most out there thing of all. He looks at them and he says, don't be afraid. I am is here. Don't be afraid. The storm is not the time for fear. It's the time for faith. Our natural response in a storm is fear. We experience a storm and we are terrified. And yet, the storm is not the time for fear. It's the time for faith. When Jesus calls to his disciples, he says, Don't be afraid. I am is here. And we'll get to what that means in a second. But in Psalm 46 verse 2, it says, We will not fear. Though the mountains shake and the earth gives way. Our, our natural response is fear. But in the storm, in the tumult, in the crisis, our response must be faith, not fear. Which leads me to my third point. The storm shows up truth. Think at a basic level. What does a storm do? A storm is this, this moment where... When, when you think about how does a storm arrive, it starts with changed clouds up in the, 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 the highest skies. And then a bit later on, if you're outside, you'll feel there's a change in the wind. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? There's, there's this change. It's, the wind starts to change and, and the leaves start to get picked up and the chaff and all the sort of loose stuff that's been covering the ground starts getting blown away. And then the rain comes and there's this sense in which what is of little value is blown away and if it's not blown away it's washed away but if something is stable it makes it through the storm if something is stable it will make it through if it's unstable it will be washed away or blown away but if it's stable it will stand firm what a storm does is it forces us to refocus back on what matters, to come back to what is unshakable. This is why Hebrews says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There is something so unshakable, so unmovable, that Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because he who promises is faithful. The storm shows up truth. The second time that Jesus shows up to his disciples in a storm, he's in the boat. He's rowing, or the disciples are rowing. I imagine it was pretty calm. And um, Jesus is in the front of the boat. He's lying back. He's having a bit of a nap. Goes to sleep. And the storm broods. Earlier last year, I was in, in Israel uh, with a group and we went on the Sea of Galilee in a boat similar to what, what Jesus was on. And this, the sea was crystal clear. It was incredible. It was just dead fat, dead flat. But um, when, when, um, when the guide was talking about the sea, he said that a couple of tours earlier, 
there'd been a storm while they were on the sea. And the way that the, the, the Sea of Galilee is shaped, the, the geography of the place, means that a storm can just brew up in any second. And the sea is so shallow that when the storm brews, it, it, the waves are, 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 are just so um, big because there's no water underneath to stabilise it. And so in that moment, this storm brews. And what do the disciples say to each other? They do. They say to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Think about if you were here with Samuel's sermon last week, it's exactly what Samuel said when Jesus comes knocking on our door and eventually we open it and say, Jesus, look at our problems. And yet, Jesus looks at the storm and he looks at the waves and he says, Peace, be still. And with three words, the storm perishes and the sea calms. And instantly, the sea knows his name and obeys. And yet, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, I don't think, why, why did he say this? I don't think it's that they didn't have the level of faith to calm the storm. I don't think it's that they shouldn't have even been afraid. They were in a storm. Of course they were going to be afraid. No. I think it's that the disciples had claimed to have put their trust in Jesus. And yet in the moment of crisis, they completely abandoned their trust. The storm showed the truth of what their faith really was. It showed up their faith for what it was. They weren't really trusting Jesus. If they had trusted in Jesus, they would have gone, you know what, this is terrifying, but Jesus is in the boat with us. They would have woken up Jesus earlier probably because they're trusting in him going, Jesus, can you see what's happening? Jesus, can you see what's ahead? But instead, they weren't really trusting Jesus. The truth of the, the storm showed up, the truth of the situation. And yet that wasn't the end of the story because point four, God speaks in and through the storm. Think about what Jesus says in the first passage that Jesus is walking on the water. He says, don't be afraid. I am is here. Now, to any of the Hebrew readers or listeners at the time, they would have instantly heard that and heard echoes back to Exodus. When Jesus reveals, when God reveals himself in the burning bush and Moses asks, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. And when Jesus says this 1,500 years later, his, his hearers would have instantly gone, he's claiming to be God, which is exactly what he was claiming to be. But God revealed in this storm, in this chaos, in this tumult, when the disciples think they're going to die, God reveals himself most clearly. In the book of Job, there's twice this really interesting line in chapter 38, verse 1, and in 40, verse 6. There's this fascinating line. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Job has gone through this incredible crisis. He's lost everything. Everything has fallen apart. There's just chaos in his life. He is ready to die. And how does God choose to reveal himself? In a storm. He speaks in and through the storm. A bit further in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah 
in a passage that many of us know where um, we, we know this passage, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, where God speaks in a still small voice. And he speaks not in the, the firestorm or the, the earthquake or the wind. But I, I was thinking about this this week, that I think we forget sometimes that Elijah... What does Elijah do in this moment? He's had this incredible encounter with the miracle of God. God has worked through him. And then, in spite of that, people haven't changed. And so he's totally overwhelmed and depressed. And he says, God, I'm ready to die. And, and God gives him rest and some food. And he sends him to Mount Horeb, which is the mountain of God, where, where God delivers the Torah, the law, the, the, the revelation of God. And as he's climbing up the mountain... There's this firestorm and and Elijah pushes through the firestorm. There's this earthquake and and, and Elijah pushes through the earthquake. There's this windstorm that's just insane that the rocks are splitting and yet he pushes through. I think we, when I, if I would get to any one of those points, I would be like, "Mm -mm, I'm turning around. Fire, like I'm not going to walk through the fire. And yet Elijah pushes through and in doing so gets the revelation of God. He pushes through the firestorm, and on the other side is the voice of God. He pushes through the windstorm. He pushes through the earthquake, and then he gets to the silence. And in the silence, he, he, he covers his head with his, his cloak, and God speaks to him, saying, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah says, I've, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty, and he brings his problems, and God says, I've kept for myself a remnant, but go and anoint my successor. And in this, God is working his will, but Elijah pushed through the storm into hearing the voice of God. God uses the storm as a birthplace of new creation. He uses the storm as a time for faith and not fear. He uses the storm as a moment to reveal truth and ultimately he speaks through the storm. But, you know, what Elijah didn't know, but we know, is that 1,500 years later there would be another storm on a hill called Calvary where Jesus picks up his cross and is is lugged up to this hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he's nailed onto this wooden rig. And as he hangs there, the sky grows dark. And as he hangs there, he gets to this point where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the greatest storm of all. Because in that storm, Jesus took the storm so that we can get the new creation. Jesus took the fear so that we can get the faith. Jesus took what we truly are. Think about it. What we really are, our mistakes, our flaws, what is behind the veneer. When we come to church and we're like, how are you? What's happening? And behind us, we're a mess and we're in chaos. The truth of who we are, Jesus took on that cross so that we can take the truth of who he is. And ultimately, Jesus took the silence of heaven, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of heaven remained silent. Jesus took the silence of heaven so that we can hear 
the voice of God saying, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. What can separate me from the love of God? Neither hardship or trials nor troubles nor tribulations nor difficulties. No storm that I face can now separate me from the will and the love of God. Jesus took the storm. And so now when we face our own storms, we don't do so with fear. We don't do so going, this is chaos. We don't even do so wondering what is the storm going to show up. We do so in light of that true storm, which Jesus took for me. So that now in that storm, in whatever storm we face, in in crisis moments, in moments of depression, in moments of loneliness, in moments when we feel like our world is falling apart, when our mortgage falls apart, when our life falls apart, when our relationships fall apart, whatever it is, in that moment, God chooses to use the storm. And in that, he points us to see our own storm in light of Jesus' storm. To be able to say, I might not know what God is going to do. I might still have zero visibility, but in the storm, I can trust. If Jesus took that for me, this is the place of new creation. If Jesus took that for me, I can respond in faith and not fear. And if Jesus took that for me, the truth of who I really am, I can choose to listen in this moment, not to be afraid, but to say, God, what are you speaking through this? Jesus took the greatest storm of all so that we can enter the wide, open skies and spaces of grace. Let's pray.